Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Wrote, wrote about his experiences at a German concentration camp. He was a psychiatrist and he was interested in thinking and observing people as they're in this concentration camp. And he was watching them and saying, who, is, who are going to be the ones who, who live? Who are the ones who live longer? And he found that those who had purpose and meaning in their life, hence his book, Man's Search for Meaning, were the ones who lived, were the ones who didn't really have a purpose or a meaning in their life, they ended up dying. Uh, you could say that they had hope. In particular, he, would say, he noted that around Christmas, in particular, um, more people would die around Christmas than any other time because they would have their hopes up that they would be released by Christmas, and then when they weren't released, they would die around those times. And so he noted that those who had a meaning after the concentration camp, in his case, it was his experiences. He had a book to write. He wanted to write about what he was going through and his observations. So that's what carried him through. In Moscow, we went to an Orthodox cathedral. We went to several Orthodox cathedrals. Uh, we saw one in particular, uh, Christ Our Savior Church. We went in there. It's an active church. And we observed the uh, Eastern Orthodox and how they practiced uh, their, their religion a little bit. And it was interesting for, uh, for me to see some of the rituals that they had to go through. For instance, we, we saw some that would like kiss as casket of an Orthodox saint. And they were hoping that through kissing this casket that they would maybe get, I guess, extra benefits and that their prayers would be answered as they were going through that. Uh, they would kiss a painting of various saints, uh, pictures uh, or scenes from the scripture. Uh, they would burn candles to, as, as a prayer to spring a soul from purgatory. So we, we were, I was observing this and I believe it was my wife that says, like, man, they just, they, they don't have any hope. And so that... So that's one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about this morning is, is hope. And that's what I'm going to focus on. Because one of the things I've been hearing lately, especially after this last election year, is a rise in despair. It's people despairing over the state of our nation, the state of our country. Uh, the rise of, you know, clinical di- diagnosis of depression is on the rise. That's been well documented. People are being diagnosed as depressed. Uh, we have despair over all sorts of things. It could be the state of our nation for morality, just what people are thinking is right and wrong. Despair for our children, what they're going to experience. So I think we too sometimes have forgotten what it is that we are to hope in. So that's what we're going to be looking at is hope. So turn your Bibles to Romans 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 to begin with, and we'll be all over the place, so uh, be ready for your Bible drill. All right, so Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put, put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So, 
Paul here is writing and talking about how our hope does not disappoint. So that's really what we're going to be looking at is, man, what, what is that Christian hope that we have that does not disappoint? Because we have many hopes that do disappoint. So let's first, let's define what I mean and what we mean when we're talking about Christian hope. So this is the best definition I came up with. This is not inspired by any means, but I hope this helps. So Christian hope is the resolute trust that God's future promises will come to pass in all their fullness. So it's future-oriented, all right? So we are hoping for the future, that God's promises will come to pass. Uh, as one, you, you could probably sense this in, our de- in this definition, but faith has a great deal to do with our hope. Okay, so, and, you'll, and I'll explain that a little in more detail later on, but uh, faith has a great component to do, deal with our hope. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul would write, and this is very uh, particular to Paul, Paul had three virtues, three things that he would talk about a lot that Christians are to have, and those would be faith, hope, and love. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says the greatest of these is love, but that does not mean faith and hope are unimportant. So it strikes me that I think that many of us have lost our hope because we've placed hope in the wrong things. And I, I'm speaking of this because I heard, heard a lot of this around the election year, and it's too many Christians have their hope in the government. Is, you know, we hope that the United States government will fix all of our problems, will fix all the world's ills, uh, but ultimately, it's a government, it's an institution ran by sinful men and sinful women. Basically, if, if I was, even if I was in there, I would probably mess something up too, just because of my sinful nature as well. So, it's nothing against getting involved in government. By all means, it's important for us to engage in government. That's a part of living in a republic. But by no means are we to have our final hope in the government or the reformation of society. Our hope is in the kingdom of God. It's not here. So, the other place that people place their hope is education. You know, we just need to educate people. If they had enough education, then they would be, uh, then the world would be a better place. So the real problem with people is they're just ignorant. So we need to solve their ignorance through education. Uh, like the government, educating man's, man's mind is a good thing. You know, it can be a good thing. It is good. We need education. However, I think it's also important to remember our past and remember our history and at the time, and it's good to remember this, Nazi Germany was the most educated society in the world. And yet they used their education for war and extermination. So just because you're educated doesn't mean that you are necessarily going to go good or bad. So it's a, it's a mistaken notion of placing one's faith in education as well. Now, education is good. I'm not saying education is bad, but to place your final hope in it is a bad thing. I'm sure we could go on and list some more things, such as people who have a hope that tomorrow will be better than today, my question to them is, who guarantees that? I mean, we, no one does. I mean, I mean, who guarantees that tomorrow is going to be better than today? Who's going to bring that t- to come about? And there's some that are just outright ridiculous, and hopefully no one is there, but like, I'll sprout wings and fly. You know, man, I really, really, really wish I would have wings so I could fly. I mean, that would be cool, but it's probably not going to happen. So what, are, what, are, what grounds Christian hope? All right, so, you know, like, all pastors, three-point sermons and a song, song, right? You know, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I try not to follow a formula, but in this case, there are three things, I think, that anchor Christian hope. Uh, so the first one is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Turn your Bibles to Colossians 1. Uh, we're going to look at verse 27. And it might be on the screen behind me as well. Yeah, would you look at that? 
All right, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let me, let me give you some context here. Paul is writing this letter to the Colossian church. The Colossian church is dealing with some false teaching. So Paul is writing this, church, or writing this letter to the church to deal with this false teaching. Now verses setting out from the beginning and just debunking and saying, okay, this is why this false teaching is incorrect. What he does is he elevates Christ. And he's like, man, Christ is so superior and so much better than any of, anything this false teaching is promising you. So why would you go anywhere else? Set your hopes in Christ. So a Christian hope begins with, one, with one's union with Christ. This anchor is the one in which the other ones will depend upon. Uh, and our union with Christ has been something I've been thinking about a lot lately. It hasn't been something I was really taught much on earlier in my life. But, I've been, but for many of the Reformers and Puritans, they saw our union with Christ uh, as the most important component of our salvation. It wasn't necessarily, you know, saving from sins, but our union with Christ. Because, how can you be forgiven from your sins? Well, it's because of your union with Christ. Or how can you be rescued from God's wrath? By your union with Christ. And you could go on and on and on, but anything that we, are, we receive because of salvation is because of our union with Christ. And so because of this, this is the hope of glory that we are united in Christ's life, death, in his life, his death, his burial, in his resurrection, we're joined in him. All those benefits that we receive through grace come to us because of our union with him. So what does it mean to say that we are joined in union with Christ? Well, one of Paul's favorite phrases, and you find it here in Colossians 1.27, and it's repeated so much that we often just, you know, breeze right past it. It's one of those familiarity things. We see it too much, we just move right past it. But one of his favorite phrases is in Christ, or in Jesus, or in Christ Jesus, or some variation of that. It occurs a lot in the writings of Paul. And by this, Paul is meaning our union with Christ, that we are joined with him. Now this union is a mystery, and I don't think that we're ever fully going to be able to grasp everything that that means. But it's through the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit unites us in Christ so that we can inherit in the words of Ephesians 1, 3-14, all the spiritual blessings in Christ. So how can you be joined with him? This is where faith comes in. It is through faith. Our faith in the sealing of the Holy Spirit is what unites a person in Christ. This faith is not simply a wish. It's not wish fulfillment like, I really, 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 really want it to be the case. You know, faith is not a wish. It's not wish fulfillment. It's confidence in the character and promises of God because of what he has done. We believe in the person of Christ because what we believe that what he did is true. Not that we hope and we wish and we really, really, really want it to be true, but we believe that it is true. And that's the important part of faith there. So faith, you could say, is the present confidence of what God has done in the past. Like, we have seen what he has done in the past in Christ, and we have faith in him in the present. Hope is the future-oriented faith. This idea that God hasn't just promised us things now, but also in the future. So a Christian's hope begins by enjoying, remembering, and looking forward to the full consummation of our union with Christ. So this is the anchor upon which all these other two will depend upon. So our hope is not in ourselves, our wavering emotions, government, money, anything like that, but rather our union with Christ. Second, I think this is the other, other thing that grounds our hope, is 
the future resurrection. So turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. I would encourage you to read this chapter on your own when you go home uh, to get the full, I guess, gravity of Paul's argument here. You really need to read the whole chapter, but we're just going to read a few parts. So hang with me here. It's a, it's a longer passage of Scripture, but we're going to start in verse 12. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. All right, so fast forward to verse 50 here. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we, we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass, with, pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I think at the end of that, I just want to say, all right, let's go home, because that's, that's a very powerful passage that Paul writes. Um, our hope is in the resurrection of, of Jesus. Did you note verse 19? If in Christ we have this hope and this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. What Paul is saying here is like, look, if there is no resurrection of the dead, we have no grounds for our hope after death. We have nothing if, if Jesus is not raised from the dead. So why, why is that so important? Why is the resurrection of Christ a grounds for hope? As he explains later on in this chapter, and I'm just giving you my, my paraphrase of it, is because our flesh is still marred from sin. We, we will still die. I mean, we are still going to pay a consequence of sin in our death. And that, and which is kind of a hard thing for us to, to think about, because that's one of those universal statistics. Other than taxes, that's one thing that we all will do. We will all die. 100% of all people will die. I mean, I, I, I can be a prophet in that sense. So what hope do you and I have to overcome death? Well, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, is, the hope is in the resurrection of Christ. 
The basic argument is this. Since Christ is raised from the dead and we are united in him, we will also rise from the dead as well. And so that is the hope with death. You know, all people that I, I know have been touched with death, if you have not yet, you, you will experience it in the future. But at some point in your future or in your life, you're going to experience the death of a loved one, someone that you know, a friend, a close relative. You are going to be touched with death. I mean, I, I can think of many times where I, I was touched. I think sixth grade was when I was first touched and experienced the death of my, grand, my grandmother. She was coming to see my brother and I be baptized, and she, we believe, had a stroke and uh, was in a car accident and did not recover from that. Um, I've dealt with people who've been given over with despair and uh, extended family who's committed suicide because they had no hope. They, they had no hope after in this life or in the life to come. But one of the most touch, touching scenes to me, speaking of death, is, is the death of Lazarus in John 11. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, Jesus delayed in coming to Bethany, where Lazarus was sick. So I'm just reminding you of this story. When Jesus finally arrived, Lazarus was dead. He was in the tomb. And he was touched by death. He was so touched by this death, the pain of his friends, and the grief of Lazarus' family. So, and we read that in John 11:35 that Jesus wept. Now, as a side note, most youth, that was their favorite. When I, whenever you told someone to memorize a verse, that was their favorite verse to memorize because it was two words. Jesus wept. But the profound part of that is that Jesus did, was so touched and moved by that that he wept. However, we read later on that Jesus was deeply moved again. And he had the stone removed. And calling out in a loud voice, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. And so I agree with the preachers of old that if Jesus didn't say Lazarus, I think everybody would have been coming out of those tombs. Now, th- now the part I want to read to you is Jesus' conversation with Martha in verses 12 through 27 here. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went... And met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So that's the reason we can have hope over death, is because we, we have the, our faith in the one who has overcome it. For Jesus is, as he says, the resurrection and the life. I wish that this truth would sink deep into our bones, uh, that we would know without a doubt that Christ is risen from the dead, so that you and I may no longer fear it, um, and that death's reign has been broken and that Christ is risen. One of my new favorite songs, um, and Julie probably could say I probably even overplay it, but never mind that, is Matt Mayer's Christ is Risen from the Dead. I just want to read to you some of his lyrics here. So Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come up. Come and rise up from the grave. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? O church, come stand in the light. The glory of God has defeated the night. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? 
Oh, church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. So through that resurrection of Christ, we can have hope that death has been defeated. That's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15. The final enemy, death, has been defeated. And therefore, when we suffer for the sake of Christ in our physical body, we know that this body is only temporary. Uh, we know that our future eternal body awaits us. That's why Paul could write this in Romans eight eighteen through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the, resurre- that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now, not, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So we can hope since the tomb is empty, and that our dead bones will be renewed to overcome death in a glorified body. So that is, a, that is why I believe in one of the very first creeds, the apostles, you, you, we would recite, I believe, in the resurrection of the body. I mean, that is a core foundational Christian truth that we believe. Death is only temporary because of the resurrection of Christ. So, that's, so, so our first anchor of our hope is our union with Christ. The second one is the resurrection of Christ. The third one is for the new heavens and new earth. Uh, turn your Bibles to Revelation 21. All right, starting in verse 1, we'll read verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So our hope is is in the new heavens and the new earth. It's not for a utopia now, but in the new heavens and new earth to come. That's why Christ says, Behold, I am making all things new. And I think it's awesome. In verse 5, he he says, you know, write it down. I mean, this is trustworthy and true. I mean, know this, because I want you to get it. Hebrews 4, we are promised as well. You don't have to turn there, but we are promised that we are going to enter the eternal rest of God. I think of, I guess for me, and I think Pastor Sean kind of told you my summer, uh, when I was thinking about eternal rest of God, I'm like, that sounds really good right now. 
because I've, I've, been, I ha, I've had a really busy, hectic summer schedule. Today I leave for camp, was at Moscow a couple weeks ago, so it's been one of those things that's like, man, I, I long for the day when I, when I can enter into the, the labor without toil. Because when we labor here, it's with toil, but in heaven our labor is going to be fruitful and, and be full of blessing. Uh, this is why, and this promise of the new heavens and new earth, is why the, the apostles would describe us as strangers and aliens. Um, aliens not meaning, you know, the little green guy's youth, but aliens is mean, you know, non-residents of, of a country. It's because we do not belong here, but rather the kingdom of God. Uh, Augustine wrote a classic work entitled The City of God. In the City of God, the occasion of his writing this book was Rome had been sacked by barbarians. Right, so Rome had just been sacked, so Christians and around the Roman Empire, there was a, a lack of hope. There was, a, there was despair over, like, man, Rome got sacked. I mean, that, that was huge for them. Christians were, some people were blaming Christians, and what Augustine set out to do in his book of the City of God is to show that the City of God is radically different than the City of Man. And he kind of juxtaposed poses these two items, and he said, like, look, this, the city of God is going to be totally different and totally new. Um, so really, what we are dealing with, with a lack of hope, is nothing new. Uh, as Solomon would say, there's really nothing new under the sun, and, which is why if you, I, I would encourage you to go read that classic work. So we are foolish to hope for the best things in, in life now. This world is transient, temporary, and ephemeral. Things are going to disappear quickly. Uh, just talk to someone over 60, and they can probably tell you that. Um, you know, should we, should we hope for a full bill of health? Well, yes, let's take care of our bodies. And yes, I do think it's, it's good for us to mourn over the effects of sin when they touch us physically. Yes, let's do that. But are we truly hoping to stay healthy forever? I mean, that, that is a lie. We're not going to stay healthy forever presently. One of the effects of sin is that our, our health and our bodies are touched. Yes, let's take care of them, but let's not put our hope in a full bill of health. Should we hope for wealth? Why would we want what we cannot keep? We cannot take wealth with us when we die. Wealth is fleeting and temporary. Remember Jesus' parable of the rich fool. This rich fool, what, he did, what happened is he had a great harvest. And so what he did is he tore down his barn. He's like, man, this is a great idea. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. So that way I can house all this stuff. And then God comes to him and says, you fool, for you're going to die tonight. So what's the, what's the point of that? So why, why should we hope in our wealth? Athletic pro, prowess, you know, for my athletes out there who want to be athletic their whole life, just talk to someone over 40. Do, do we hope for power? You know, death is the great equalizer. It, it, I think of Hugo Chavez, the dictator of Venezuela. He did not have power to beat cancer and death. He may have been a powerful man, but death is the great equalizer. It comes to both the powerless and powerful alike. Do we have our final hope in a moral society? That, too, is a foolish hope. Granted, we are to work for the good of our country and the good of our nation, but I do not hope. But I, I think it is foolish and very, almost very bad to hope that we're going to have one country become a utopia. That is a bad hope to have, because as soon as I am in that country, it's not going to be a utopia anymore. So that is why I think it is foolish to hope for a utopia now. I cannot help but think of everyone who is depressed this last election. Uh, you know, who is mourning 
and maybe even like, I wouldn't say weeping, but it was borderline of, I was just hearing through the Christian community, maybe not here, but abroad, just hearing just everybody like, oh, you know, the state of our nation. But it, part of me is like, why, why are we, we so upset about this? I mean, were we really hoping that, that this is what was going to happen in our country? You know, it's, it shows to me that I think too many Christians are thinking that government is the, real, is the instrument in which people and societies are changed. However, that's not where we are to ground our hope. Our hope is to be grounded in the gospel. For only the gospel can transform peoples and cultures. So, we, so why do we hope for the government to do only what the gospel can? Um, again, we could go through and we could compile a list of false hopes. But the problem with these hopes, hopes is that they will fail in the end. The, the point is, what is that hope that is not going to disappoint us? In reality, to place our hope in anything other than Christ is to commit idolatry. That's really what, bottom line, that's what we do when we place our hope in anything other than Christ. Hope in Christ alone. So why do people hope in this life now instead of the life to come? There are a few conclusions I can come to. Two, really. Uh, one is Christians doubt the promises of God. You know, this is why I think many people struggle to, who want things now, because they're like, I'm not quite sure God's going to come through in the end. So there's a little lingering doubt there. I think for, for those individuals, they, they may need to, to do what one, one person at once asked Christ. He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think many of us could be there. The second reason is, and this is just our culture, I, I would say, is that people are looking for fulfillment now rather than in Christ later. We live in an instant culture. We want things yesterday. And people are not willing to wait for a better hope. We want them today. They would rather take that cheap substitute rather than the fullness that we are promised later on. As a side note, this is, just stay with me, and you, you will maybe get where I'm going with this. The food in Moscow was delicious. Um, we experienced their cuisine. It was very, very good. So when asked about it, and somebody said, you know, what, what made it so much better? I, you know, I, I didn't really, couldn't really say as far as, as far as the ingredient standpoint. They used many of the same ingredients that we did, but I think that the difference was is in the time that they took to prepare their food. I think they, they really made it an art, and they really took their time to make it well. Whereas, you know, myself included in this, I'm looking for the, you know, the quick 15-minute meal. They would take their time in making, in making their food. And some of the best things in life, some of the best things that, that, we, that we are to experience are worth the wait. And so I, I think it's important for us to, to realize that our, that our hope is future-oriented. It's not now, but it's, we are to wait patiently through this. Earlier I read a passage in Romans, it was Romans 8, where, where it said that hope that is seen is, not longer, is no longer hope anymore. So what was Paul trying to say? And see, at some point in the, in the future, all Christian hope will be fulfilled in the second coming of Christ. Our hopes will not disappoint because God is their guarantee. And not our, not our culture, not ourselves. Therefore, our, our hope is always going to be future-oriented. It's our gaze for eternity and beyond. And yet, our hopes are going to be fully consummated, and, and we will have, get to enjoy their fulfillment. So, Christian, let's hope. Let's hope in the Lord. For in Him, all true enduring hope is found. And pray for the day when we will have our hopes realized, when we will get to experience the full benefits of all our hopes. If you are not in Christ and are not in union with him, I really have no words of encouragement for you other than to turn to Christ, the only true and lasting hope. 
to hope in anything else is going to disappoint you. So turn to Christ and Christ alone. And I thank the Lord that he gives us a hope that will not disappoint. I, th- I can think of too many things, too many areas in my life where I've had hopes and things that disappointed me. But I need to turn to the one who is the anchor of all my hopes. Let's, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word and for the hope that you give us in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would embrace that truth, that it would sink deeply into our bones and into our souls. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a hope for the future. God, I pray that if no one here ha- has known you yet and knows true hope, that they would come to, you t- come to you this morning, that they would realize their need for you and their need for a future and a hope. God, I, God, I thank you for again for this body of believers, the encouragement that they are, and that we can encourage each other to hope in you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, after